following program is sponsored by Ron Geyer Roofing. The Bible describes events that will mark the last days, or end times. 2 Timothy 3.1 says, This know also, that in the last days perilous times shall come. Matthew 24.44 tells us, Therefore you must be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour when you do not expect Him. Bible teacher Ron Geyer leads us through Scripture that will help us to remain strong in the Lord. End Time Insights with Bible teacher Ron Geyer starts now. Good evening, family. Ron Guy back with more End Time Insights. And I'm going to do something a little different today. I'm actually going to take a passage of Scripture from 1 Peter 1. Let's see, 3, 6, 7 verses. And just go through them and talk you through them and explain them to you. It's really interesting. I, I love it. You know, these 6, 7 verses, they talk about uh, salvation. They talk about tribulation. They talk about faith. They talk about joy in the midst of your trials. They talk about your inheritance. They talk about your attitude in the midst of all of the sufferings that you go through, all in these little six verses, and they connect it all together. That's what I loved about it. It was all connected. It it followed a good thought pattern. So this is Peter, and I use the NIV translation for this one just because it's a little bit easier to follow than the King James at times. Remember, you can read all the versions, all the translations, but you should always teach out of the King James First Peter chapter 1, verses 3 through 9 in the NIV. I think I'll read it all at once. Praise be to God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. There's a mouthful right there. We'll break that down. Praise be to God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you, who through faith are shielded by God's power unto the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. Verse 6, In all this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. For you are receiving the end result of your faith, the salvation of your souls." There's about two dozen truths in there that are really, really powerful. Let's see how far we get. Okay, praise be to God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Praise be to God and Father. So right now he's starting off his letter as he should, praising the Lord God. Hallelujah. So then whether it's a job, whether it's a special day, uh, whether it's an assignment, or like Peter here who's about to write us a letter, He will begin by praising God because he knows praise gets God's attention. Amen. He inhabits the praises of his people. I love the way he addresses his praise, not just to God and not just to Jesus Christ, but the Holy Spirit felt it was important to reveal the relationship between God and Jesus as he starts this letter. Praise be to the God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. So there we see the relationship between God and Jesus. 
God is the Father of Jesus Christ. And then, of course, Peter reminds us Jesus is the Messiah Jesus, right? He says not just Jesus, but Jesus Christ, the Anointed One, His title, His assignment, the Messiah. So here already we've got the truth that God is the Father of Jesus and Jesus is the Messiah. He's not missing anything. He wants us thinking truthfully about these folks, God and Jesus, as we get into the letter. One more thing, though. He's not just Jesus, the Messiah. He is the Lord Jesus Christ. So four things we learned right there. Three things. Number one, he's God. Number two, he's the father of the Lord. Number three, Jesus is the Messiah. And number four, he is the Lord Jesus. He's not just my Lord, but he should be your Lord as well. Truth is, he is your Lord. He's Lord over everything. Hallelujah. He is Lord over everything. And the best part is he is our Lord. Notice he makes it possessive. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. He is not only Peter's Lord, he is my Lord as well, and I pray he's your Lord. He is Lord over my very own life. Peter brings this reminder to us on a most personal level. In the topic to follow, God felt it important to be mindful of the power and the authority and the favor and the blessing and the relationship that's available to us in Christ Jesus. Okay, so let's read on, remembering everything that we just learned. So then, praise be to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, in his great mercy. Peter is about to say something here, and it will be said because of his great mercy. Something is coming, and it's because of God's great mercy that Peter wants to tell us this. So right away, for me, my antenna go up. I begin to get excited. I don't know what's coming. I don't know who it's for. But if it's motivated by the mercy of God, you can take it to the bank. It's going to be good. And so continuing on, because in his great mercy, he has given us new birth. That's huge. As we read on, we discover his great mercy is for us. Hallelujah. He has given us. So as you're reading this, it's personal. God is speaking to you, and he's starting off with the fact that it's in his great mercy he's given you something. And so whatever he is giving us will be found in the place that God calls mercy. And what are we getting? He is giving us new birth. Wow. That is so good. As we read this, we should be reminded of Jesus's command to John, to Nicodemus in John. Remember, it's not just Jesus. It's our Lord Jesus. Jesus commanded Nicodemus, you must be born again and you must be born again. And the vehicle where that salvation, where that new birth is offered is in his great mercy because of the mercy of God. Again, we saw that in the gospel of John. Well, as you get over into Peter here, that thought of being born again begins to be fleshed out. Peter tells us we can only find this new birth where? In God's great mercy. We are making headway now if we are pursuing the new birth, right? So in his great mercy, you can be born again into a living hope. That is awesome. This new birth that's only found in his great mercy leads us into a living hope. A hope that is alive. It has breath. This hope has promise. And it will never disappoint. It's a living hope. It can't die. Living hope doesn't die. Well, how can that be? I know in worldly hope, we're disappointed all the time, aren't we? Right? Dad says, Ron, behave or go to the ball game. Come Friday, we're not going to the ball game. What happened? I was hoping we were going to the ball game. You didn't behave. 
maybe I even did behave and just something came up and dad and so my hope had to be disappointed. Well, biblical hope has no element of failure to it. Biblical hope is a promise and it always comes true. How can that be? Remember, Jesus, hope that maketh not be ashamed. How is that possible? Hope has let me down many times, more often than not. What makes this hope living? What makes it so special? Through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. This hope has achieved its eternal state through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Hope springs eternal. You know, I'm a baseball fan. I always wanted to be a professional ball player. And yet I remember come spring training, which actually starts in about three weeks. Thank you, Jesus. Well, actually, it starts in about two weeks. Baseball season starts like the end of March. But there was a phrase, that phrase, hope springs eternal. I'm sure you've heard it. It's it's been used. But it was referenced to baseball because all 32 baseball teams would start the season, no matter how bad they played the year before, they started that first day, no wins and no losses. Their record was the same as everybody else. And the phrase came to be coined in baseball, hope springs eternal. That was the hope that was evident in spring training as all the teams reported because they all had an equal chance at that point of winning the title. I love it. Well, here it's referencing the truth that hope now has taken on the life and the power of the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Hope can no longer fail. Hope has become a person. Isn't that fabulous? Jesus is our blessed hope, right? A person who will never fail, who will never change, who will never lie, and who will never die. Jesus is our blessed hope. Let's put that all together. Praise be to God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. I mean, there's a whole bunch of stuff here that never is going to end. He's a living hope. Hope becomes eternal. It's through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, who is an eternal being, now into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade, something else that is eternal. Through his great mercy, we've been given the new birth, which he has placed into a living hope, Jesus Christ. And now he adds another element, another blessing into that. We have also been given an inheritance that can never perish, it can never spoil, and it can never fade. It's perhaps more explicitly written to obtain an inheritance. That means almost like you have to work or it's not just automatic, okay, but there's no Greek word for obtain. So they wrote it into an inheritance, which kind of makes it automatic. Spurgeon on this inheritance. Joy, my brethren, in the glorious inheritance which is prepared for you, unstained, uncorrupted, perfectly pure, and therefore to last forever, because the elements which produce decay in something are not in this inheritance. It is without sin, and therefore it shall be without end. What a mercy it is to be kept by the power of God. See, heaven is kept for us, and we are kept for heaven. Heaven is prepared for us, and we are prepared for heaven. There is a double action of God's grace thus working in us and working for us into this blissful, eternal inheritance. This inheritance, back to the scripture, this inheritance is kept in heaven for you. 
I know there are some right now who believe that we've already got this inheritance, that we're entitled to all of this stuff because the death of the testator, Jesus Christ, took place. Well, that's not when we get it. We don't get it until we die, okay? I know there are some who believe differently. They are walking in authority that they don't have. They are believing in promises that await us at the end, not now. The rights, the possessions, and the power that go with it will only be distributed to us at the end. It's currently still in heaven. We haven't received it yet. There is much misunderstanding on what we saved church members have already gotten. It has led to embarrassment for the church, trying to exercise authority, which isn't ours, claiming things that weren't promised yet, and using faith in areas where we won't work. It won't work because it's not for us yet. Our inheritance right now is still in heaven, and we are being shielded or kept by the power of God, who through faith are shielded by God's power. But look at this, who through faith are shielded by God's power. Another translation says we are kept by the power of God through faith, but it's through faith. Okay, God's power, that's on God. The shielded or the keeping, that's on God. But through faith is on us. If we do not maintain faith, then we cannot claim to be shielded or protected or kept by God's power. It's only available if we remain in faith. One of my personal aims this year, I'll call it a goal, is to point out areas where we are to use our faith. No offense meant to anybody, but we've gotten really strange and sloppy in what and where we place our faith and how we use it. We must exercise our faith in this area protecting ourselves by faith, which will then allow God to keep us safe and secure. It's like our inheritance. It's kept safe and secure in heaven only if we remain in faith. The conduit by which the power of God shields us, the conduit by which the power of God protects us is faith. If we lay down our faith, If we throw down our faith, if we lose our faith, then the power, the protection, and the shielding that God promises is no longer available to us. We must stay in faith. God is not obligated to keep us if we don't stay in faith. I'm heading to a very important point here. The idea behind me choosing these verses, but it's important to remember to stay in faith if we wish to stay protected. That's the point. The promises of God are yea and amen, but here this one is pointed out as conditional. We can only appropriate the promise if we remain in faith. Commentator Barnes says it like this, While our inheritance is being kept guarded in heaven under the watchful eye of God, we are being garrisoned about by God's protecting care for it. The Almighty God stands sentinel over us all our days, guarding our going out and our coming in from this day forth and forever. The guard is never changed. I like that. He is on duty 24 hours. He doesn't have a shift. His shift is eternal. Hallelujah. Year in and year out until we arrive safely home. Only if we remain in faith, guys. That's me. Barnes continues. Believers are not kept by their own power, but by the power of God. Our faith in Christ has so united us to him that his power now guards us and guides us. We are not kept by our strength, but by his faithfulness. And then he closes with, how long will he guard us? Until Jesus returns. We are in his hand. That's nice. And it could be true if we keep our faith. 
I've got to add that. How long will he guard us? As long as we have faith. No faith, no protection. Do you understand that? That's what the Bible says. I didn't make that up. Jesus isn't putting that in there to be hard. Peter just didn't decide, I'm going to throw this in there as a condition. It's a word of God, conditional promise. He will keep you. He will guard you. He will be sentinel over you as long as you stay in faith. And then the verse continues, until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. Spurgeon and Barnes do a great job in explaining these verses. He is willing to stand watch. God is willing to stand watch over us until the end when Jesus comes and our salvation is finally to be revealed. Understand, salvation, well, let me say it this way, at the new birth, is when we're justified, just as if I've never sinned. That's when we're cleansed, we're delivered, the Holy Spirit comes and lives inside us, and we become a child of God. That's the new birth. It's a one-time event. But salvation is not a one-time event. Salvation is a process. What do you mean? Well, you're working out your own salvation with fear and trembling, knowing that it's God who's working in you both to will and to do His good pleasure. The salvation spoken here at the end time, ready to be revealed, the abset does not reference the aspect of salvation which we are already experiencing now. What's written here in Peter refers to a future aspect of salvation ready to be revealed when Christ returns. Simply put, simply stated, simply explained, there are three aspects or three tenses or three phases, three stages to our salvation. We have already received the down payment of our salvation at the new birth. And that's called justification. Right now we can stand before God as if we've never sinned because the blood of Jesus has cleansed us from sin. And through faith in the cross, what Jesus has done, we now become children of God. It's at the new birth when God's Holy Spirit comes to live inside us. He cleanses us from our sin. He frees us from the kingdom of darkness and translates us into the kingdom of his dear son. It is the first part of our salvation and it's a one-time event. Part two is called sanctification. That is what's happening to us now, working out our own salvation. We are being cleaned. We are being sanctified. means we are being set apart. We are being made holy by God's spirit of truth. It's an ongoing process. It began at the new birth. It will take place until we leave this earth. It's daily. It's the process by which we are made more and more like Jesus Christ. It doesn't complete the process of salvation. Yes, salvation is a three-step process. We are working out this salvation with God, knowing or allowing him to work in us his good pleasure. At any point in the process of salvation, we can throw our faith down. At any point, we can walk away from Christ. At the new birth, justification, we accepted Christ and we got clean. That was an act of our own free will. Well, we still have our own free will. And if we can come to know him and live with him and serve him and obey him on the basis of God allowing us a free will, His free will also allows us to walk away from him. Now, people preach, once saved, always saved. That's just not so. 
At any point in this process of sanctification, you think that the trials are too difficult for us, that the suffering is too much for us, that we just don't want to obey anymore, that it's too tedious, it's too demanding. At any point, God will let us walk away. People who teach that you once saved, you're always saved. Well, okay, well, then what happens? I accept Christ because I'm a free will being, but I'm not allowed to walk away from him. I'm no longer a free will being. That free will only allows me up to the point of salvation to make my own choices. That doesn't sound like free will to me. Suddenly when I get saved, I no longer have free will. That's not biblical. Part three is the final step in our salvation, and that's what's called glorification. This is what is being kept in heaven and guarded for us, our inheritance, which includes being glorified. This occurs when we see Christ. Of course, it does. You can't have glory without Christ, right? And you can't have the crown without the cross. Christ, who starts the process of our salvation, also finishes that process. Philippians 1, six, being confident of this very thing that he, Jesus, which has begun a good work in you, will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ, until the day of his return. So he's already started this in you, and he is performing it until the day he returns. Colossians 2.10, and you are complete in him, in Christ, which is the head of all principality and power. Then we go back to First uh, Peter chapter 1, verse 3, and this is the key to, I think, the, all of this in here. Let's see, it's going to be in verse 6. In this, you greatly rejoice in what? In everything he's just told you, the fact that uh, you have uh, salvation offered to you, the fact that you've got the new birth available to you, the fact that you've got an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade, the fact that this inheritance is kept in heaven for you. In this, you greatly rejoice in all of that. You're excited. You're exceedingly glad. Though now for a little while, you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trial. Wow. That kind of throws some water on all of those promises. But no, uh, Peter is saying here right now, though, in all of this, you're rejoicing greatly, even though now you're suffering. You're going through testings and trials. Then he says in verse 7, and this is key, these testings, these trials, they have come so that they prove the genuineness of your faith. Your faith, which has greater worth than gold, which perishes even though it's tried in the fire, Your faith is being tested. Please understand this. You're not being tested. You're saved. Your name's written in the Lamb's Book of Life. Okay, you've passed the test. You've admitted you were guilty. And now the blood of Jesus has cleansed you from all sin. Yet now it's your faith that's on fire. That's why he talks about it earlier, that it's through faith you're going to get this inheritance. You must protect your faith. You must guard your faith. Your faith is under trial, not you. And it's designed so that you can see the genuineness of your faith, how great it is, how much it's valuable, how much you need it here. Peter has just reminded them of all the good things that await them because he's about to tell them some things that may dampen their joy about their future. There has been some grief behind them, he says, and there's also grief ahead of you guys. But what kind of grief? All kinds of grief, it's coming. If you name the name of Jesus, it is through much tribulation that we must enter the kingdom of God. 
they're going to be going through trials. But when trials come, whether they're through satanic assault, whether they're through the daily stress of living in a wicked world, or even if they're allowed, or even if they're sent by God himself, these trials pale in comparison to the joy that's set before them. Understand, these trials, they usually aren't about you. They are to test your faith. You aren't on trial. Your faith is. That's why it's imperative that you stay in faith. You need it to stay saved. You need it to overcome. You need it to endure the test and the trials that are coming. James, I'll close here with this verse today. James 1, verse 3. Knowing this, that the trying of your faith is working patience in you. That is so important. Remember, these testings, they're to prove the genuineness of your faith. They not only prove the genuineness of your faith, but they improve your faith. We'll pick up on this next week. I love this. This is such good stuff. I pray that you have a good week, that you stay in faith, that you guard your faith, that you use your faith. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for joining us for End Time Insights with Ron Geyer. Listen again next Sunday night at 8 on 100.7 The Word, where faith comes by hearing. You can also listen to the podcast of this program by going to kkht.com. If you would like to contact Ron, email him at gospelguy at comcast.net.